welcome back to another episode of Lost It Down. I'm your host today, Wally Lukashinsky. Steven is out. He'll be back on Thursday. So it's just David and I today. David, I know it was a rough Sunday, at least for Browns fans. I know we're, we're looking forward to a little bit of a rant from you later today. But outside of that, how are you doing, buddy? I hope things are going well. Yeah, busy at work, busy in personal life, but everything's good uh, outside of football because it's a dumb sport and my kids will play soccer. See, and I told you last night because that's a really good idea, but I'm worried it's almost like a gateway sport in the football then. I don't, I'm going to make my kids do theater. I want them to be like, dad, I'm the the lead in Othello. And I get to be like, that's great, son. Like, I, I hope it's on I, I Sunday at one o'clock. Sunday showing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sunday at four o'clock when the Raiders are playing. I can't wait. I will be there front and center. God. Yeah. So things are not going well. By the time you've heard this, the Raiders have played. I have a really strong feeling that by Thursday, I'm going to be miserable the way you and Steven are. But we're crossing fingers. We're crossing fingers, David. We have to at least get some good this week because it certainly doesn't so. feel like there's a lot out there. Ugh. But anyways, let's jump right into NFL news today. Matt Rule fired by the Carolina Panthers as well as defensive coordinator Phil Snow. Steve Wilkes is the interim head coach there. Rule is now owed $40-plus for the Panthers when he first got there, they signed him to a seven-year, $62 million deal. David, I know earlier we were talking, you hate the idea of these mega deals. Is that just for not established NFL coaches? Like, if this was Mike Tomlin signing that, are you fine with that? Oh, absolutely. It's just for it's just for first-time or unproven NFL coaches. Why are you going to give a guy that's never coached in the NFL as a head coach or even – God, even a coordinator, why are you going to give that guy anything more than three or four years? Because it's never – tell me a time it's worked out to pay some guy insane money for seven years, and in the seventh year they're still with the team. Because I can't think of a time off the top of my head. I, I don't know what Sean Payton's contract looked like initially. I don't know what Tom Mike Tomlin's contract looked like initially. But I can tell you it's not often. You're going to fire him after three years. So if you have bad ownership after two years, I, I don't understand losing all of that money for, for no other reason than to maybe lure an attractive name to your team. If that's Mike Tomlin, I 100%. If, if that's Sean Payton, 100%. Give him Established. Give like, him a 10-year contract. Yeah. Give him a 10-year, $100 million John Gruden-style contract. Oh, John gosh. Gruden's a proven coach. That I mean, outside of the shit that happened to get him fired – like that was working out for the Raiders. Like I, I, maybe you disagree, but like John Gruden's a guy I would have given that contract to in a similar sense. I just, Matt rule seven years, $70 million is mind blowing to me. Well, we've seen this how many times before too. One of the things that frustrates me is that we expect college coaches to make this leap and it's a different sport. I mean, how many guys can you really point to that have gone from college to pro and really been successful? Outside of Pete Carroll, who already had NFL experience in New England, I, like there's not that many guys like this. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury, I, I is technically successful because I mean, what they went to the playoffs last year, but I mean they haven't scored a first quarter point yet this year. So you have to wonder how much of it is the talent that's been there for him. So it's frustrating. Uh, I feel for Carolina fans today. I mean, 
in his tenure, they went 11 and 27. That's two and a half years and lost 16 of 19. Listen to these. This is where I want to at least be fair to Matt Rule. He didn't have a, a quarterback at any point while he was there. He had five starters. Baker Mayfield, probably the best one on this list. Sam Darnold, P.J. Walker, Cam Newton, and Teddy Bridgewater. So that's not easy, but at the same point, you got to win at this level. We're seeing it in New York with Brian Dayball right now, and we'll get to them. They're 4-1 and one with Daniel Jones. You can win with, with bad quarterback play in this league. At least look competitive because they're not competitive. No, you're absolutely right. Like I, I feel for the co- – like, if he were – near 500 and getting fired then you say well you're kind of making a mistake maybe because you're getting you're getting bad quarterback play but you're elevating the team around the bad quarterback to win you at least close to 500 games so with bad quarterbacks you could probably win six to seven games a season agreed with a bad quarterback and a and just good coaching and a solid team i'm not asking for a great team but just a solid team and, and they have a good defense, or they yeah, should they have, have a good defense. They've had a good defense for the last couple of years. That's the one thing they've done really well. Um, they've had, I think, one pretty bad down year, and I think that was the year that um, – what's his face? The linebacker retired. Um, oh, Luke Keekley. Luke Keekley. I think that was the year he retired. They had, like, a down year. But, you know, they drafted well on defense the last couple of years. I don't think he was good. I think it's proven. I think you can win – if he won – 16 17 games instead of 11 then you could probably make the argument maybe we should wait till we he gets at least finish the season at that point right but at the same time they've also spent a lot of assets going to get sam darnold baker mayfield teddy bridgewater at what point are you saying hey maybe you should stop going after guys who have fizzled out elsewhere i i just i he wasn't a good nfl coach he probably will never be but I'm just out on I'm out on big contracts for unproven guys. It's it's just a dumb way to lose money. Well, they're going to have to shell out for somebody because that's not a pretty organization right now. It's going to be really difficult to allure somebody. And the name that everybody keeps throwing out is Sean Payton. What people I feel like are forgetting is that New Orleans still has rights of him through 2024. What incentive is there for New Orleans to waive their rights so that he can go coach a division rival? I don't think that that's nearly as likely as people are making it out to be right now. Now I'll give them, I'll give them this. At least if you're Carolina, you're one in four, you don't have your head coach. This is a good time to make a hard push before other teams are going to be able to get in the door for him. But I I don't know. Is there a name that pops out to you right now for Carolina at head coach? I don't think so uh, because what, what big net, here's the problem is that team's going to have to continue taking risks. So what risk are they probably should be considering is, and, and it might be way too early to be doing it, but whoever that offensive coordinator is for the lions, that's been a name in league circles for a couple of weeks now after the lions hot start, but you're not going to get big names because if I'm a big name, especially I'm Sean Payton, if I'm Sean Payton. Why am I going to Carolina? Unless they're giving me $200 million, why am I going to Carolina when I could hold out? Because eventually there's going to be a post Sashi Browns perfect scenario with maybe a bad team or maybe even a good team like, like the Cowboys if they fire McCarthy for some reason. But maybe there's a situation where I can just slide in and I've got either assets or talent or both. 
why would you do anything else coming out of your your New Orleans tenure, which is everyone looks at you as a potential top five coach in the NFL? If you're if you're a big name guy like that, I'm not going to Carolina where they have half the amount of assets they should because they they paid too much for Sam Darnold or or Baker Mayfield or Teddy Bridgewater. And I don't they also don't have the talent anywhere but on defense. Like I'm gonna spend my first two years rebuilding. You know, my image might be hurt if I'm Sean Payton and and suddenly I I take on a team and now we're we're a five win team and now people are questioning how good of a coach I am. Right. So if, if you're if you're sitting on the bench like he is, I don't know why you get off of it for Carolina. No, I'm right there with you. Ben Johnson is the offensive coordinator in Detroit. He'll be a name definitely thrown around. Ken Dorsey, offensive coordinator in Buffalo. He'll be thrown around. Eric Bieniemy. eventually you have to imagine someone's going to take a chance on him. I think we're at the day and age for especially a team like Carolina. I'm almost surprised when you have these defensive-minded guys get hired in these roles. The game has gone so offensive. Carolina hasn't had an offense since Cam Newton in that Super Bowl run. I think this is where you really got to go into one of these young minds. But real quick, I do want to bring up something that I'm sure many of you at home have noticed. There's a lot of smoke in the air today. Dan Fettis, I think it's Fettis, is a beat reporter and a anchor up in Buffalo, New York, covers the Buffalo Bills. He said that the Buffalo Bills reached out to Carolina regarding Christian McCaffrey Later, Backtrack said that they denied the claim. But you know how this works, David. When there is this much smoke, it makes it really hard to believe that something hasn't happened here. I agree. I I, I just, you know, it'd be impossible. The Bills would be dumb for not looking at a, a broken situation in Carolina and going, hey, you guys probably want to start a rebuild. I'll give you XYZ for McCaffrey doesn't hurt me in the long run because I'm never going to, you know, those picks mean nothing to me while I have this much talent on the team. It'd be dumb for them not to reach out because if the Bills get a legitimate running back, a guy they're not even going to use that often, to be honest, when you're, when you got Josh Allen and, and that, that receiving core, you know, if they got McCaffrey, they're my lock for the Super Bowl, and it's not, not close. It's not, that's their biggest weakness and probably their only legitimate weakness is that they can't run the football efficiently 15 rushes like literally just 15 times a game that's all you need from him just to have the fear of cmc in your backfield right i just i can't imagine not reaching out if i'm them so maybe they did maybe they didn't but it'd be dumb if they didn't so i imagine they did yeah and you know how it is in in the the nfl world when it comes to draft picks if it's not March or April, nobody cares about them for some reason. They have no value. So you watch it end up being like a, a 2015 six-round pick that gets CMC to Buffalo, and everybody else on earth is like, why is my team not calling the Carolina Panthers about Christian McCaffrey? Right. All right, let's jump into this could have been an email. This is where we take on some of the uglier games. We're going to hit them really quickly. I think it's fitting because we've been talking so much about Carolina, David, let's start with them here. They get shellacked by San Francisco, 37 to 15. Baker gets hurt. Doesn't look good at any point. This game really was the straw that broke the camel's back for Matt rule. This game is, is just an epitome of what the Panthers have been, which is bad. They can't score. They're not holding defenses below 17 points. So they're not winning games. 
with Baker getting this high ankle sprain and being out a few weeks, man, I can confidently say the wheels are off. Uh, I think he's broken. Uh, I'm officially off the train. I'm admitting so. You know, he's rest broken. in peace to the guy who helped turn the tide in Cleveland. I, I just I feel bad because like it's his sixth. It's going to be his sixth head coach in five years. They're probably going to change the offense ever so much when when they actually get a real head coach and not an interim head coach. I just, you know, that's a fa- that's a recipe for failure. It's just a recipe for failure for a quarterback who's not going to come in and be elite day one, like you know a Joe Burrow who's going to outplay a bad coach. It's not going to be like that. It's it's he's a fringe top ten guy. He was when he was at his best his first three years. He never got an opportunity to to really show that off and really develop because he just kept everything kept changing. So I'm done making excuses for him. He's, he's bad. He's broken. He's Uh, bad at this point. That's where we, you and I are on that side of history. I don't know how this game was a six and a half point spread though. It's really must've been the belief that going from West coast to East coast, another big travel game for the 49ers. One thing to note here, going off of Carolina for a minute because I'm sure that any of their fans that are listening probably want to hang themselves by now. San Francisco is really, really good on defense, but the problem is they're so banged up. They lose Emmanuel Mosley for the year with a torn ACL. Jimmy Ward finally back. He broke his hand. Who knows when he'll be back? Nick Bosa has a groin injury. We don't know the severity yet. That could be a problem. You have Robbie Gold bruised his knee. He could miss some time. And we're seeing how important kickers are in the league. They're a banged up team. So keep your eye out for San Francisco. Ton of talent, but they just got to stay healthy. Thursday night football, David. It might be the worst football game I've ever watched. And I don't, that's not hyperbolic. I truly mean it might be the worst game, at least NFL I've ever seen. Colts win 12 to nine. This is how bad it was, David. They had a shot of their fans leaving the stadium, going into overtime. Give me a break, Denver. You've won a Super Bowl in the last 10 years. Kiss my ass. What a piss poor joke of a fan. Like, they're a good fan base, typically. That's what pissed me off about it. Can you imagine? The Browns, can you imagine a 9-9 overtime game? Yeah, it's ugly. We're used to it. Raiders fans, it's the same kind of thing. Can you imagine leaving that stadium early in a tie game going into overtime? No, I can't because we grew up Browns and Raiders fans, which means if we even had a chance, nobody was leaving. We were fired up. A single person was leaving because at the Browns, I can tell you, I can tell you 15 times where I went to a game and we were down by like three scores in the fourth quarter. And my dad was like, let's beat traffic. And I'm like, that's a good call. Yeah. <laughs> let's get out of here. There, there's um, some times where you have to know when to throw the talent. Right. But like, you're within seven. What are you doing? I, I just like, how do you not finish the game? But you know what? Screw the fans because this was the worst. You know, I almost feel bad for him. I might've left too, because this was to your point, one of the worst games I, I've ever watched so bad. in the history of football, maybe only up there with, I think there was a, I want to say it was a Seattle Browns game. That was like six, three. I think that was like weather related. I don't even think that was just like, Bad and football, the teams I were probably was... supposed to be bad. Like, right. These are teams that were supposed to have Super Bowl aspirations going into the year. Right. I just like this was I thought it was going to be the worst game of the week. It locked itself in as the worst game of the year. It was just horrific football. Russell Wilson stinks. Matt Ryan stinks. Both coaching staff stink. At what point? 
I don't even know what's wrong because everything's wrong. Nothing is making sense. And I, I just turned to coaching. I turned to coaching and I turned to old quarterbacks and that's it because that's all I can, my tiny brain can conjure is that like, this has to be a combination of aged washed up quarterback and not good offensive coach. They came together to give us ugly ass football. That pick Russell Wilson, honestly, both picks, but the pick he threw with four ish minutes left in that game to give Indianapolis a chance when all you have to do is run the ball. Nathaniel Hackett run the ball. Richard Sherman was there. It felt fitting that he got to experience that for a second time watching Russ throw a pick late that gave the other team momentum and gave them a win ultimately in both scenarios. Did you see it on the interview? He had PTSD. He was like, you just got to run the, run the ball. Like, yeah. it, was like, it was like, it was like he was back on the sideline in the Super Bowl. Like what the fuck are that, you doing? I still, that reaction he had of the like, Oh, oh, like the cringe. Like it truly was like a visual of how you'd imagine the entire city of Seattle felt like. And boy, Denver's getting their own fill right now. So keep, uh, I, I guess, good luck, Denver, but I'm kind of enjoying it. I'm not going to lie to you. Pittsburgh went to Buffalo. Thank God nobody on this show called a Pittsburgh win last week. Otherwise, that would be bad for us. But the Bills won 38 to three. Hand up. That's on me. That's on me. I uh, I I was wrong. I was I was very wrong here. But we got you and I have to address something. The Pittsburgh fan base, the part of them that wants Mike Tomlin gone, are some of the worst and most asinine fans in the world. How spoiled do you have to be to try to run out a coach like Mike Tomlin? Man, huh. When you sent me the Twitter responses earlier, it was to, to I don't even remember what the tweet was. Something about Andrew Filipponi was just like, hey, um, yeah, you know. Yeah, it was, you know, it was already a bad Cleveland or a bad Pittsburgh media member. But, you know, <laughs> I, 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 when I, when you look at the response, you see like, you know, Mike Tomlin needs to be fired, blah, blah, blah. You're just sitting there like, Mike Tomlin has, 16 years of, of winning football seasons in Pittsburgh. You guys have had four coaches ever since your inception as a franchise. They're all winning teams outside. It, of I, like, like Chuck Knoll was yeah, two of, coaches ago. Outside of like <laughs> seven total seasons in franchise history, you guys have won more than eight games. Like just like, I can't imagine what it's like to be so spoiled that the, the first sign of adversity, the first sign of adversity, you're like, I hate this guy bringing another. I hope you do. I hope you fire Tomlin. I hope he goes to a team. I hope he goes to a team and, and beats you guys relentlessly for seasons to come because that is an absurd take. And I know it's probably not the majority of, of Steelers fans, but for the minority, I hope your wishes come true. And I hope you get to see what it's like to be a Cleveland Browns fan who you've been making fun of for 25 years. I hope you get just a, a really long taste of what it's like to have a cycle of bad coaching and bad quarterback play that never comes back together because you quit at the first sign of adversity. It's frustrating too, because they kept doing the, it was big Ben that never had a losing season, not Mike Tomlin, ignoring the years that big Ben's elbow explodes and they have Devlin duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph. And not to mention these last few years, 
Big Ben Roethlisberger has been a shell of who he was early in his career. The fact that they made the playoffs last year is one of the, it was worthy almost of coach of the year. That's how good of an, or how great of an achievement that was. I, I hope you're right that most don't want him out. It's just a loud minority, but let's go on to the bills. Now the bills, Josh Allen had over 340 passing yards in the first half of this game. I mean, dude, this was over as soon as that 98-yard touchdown pass to Gabe Davis happened. It, it, this was never a football game. Yeah, and I'm I'm shocked by it because even though I never expected Pittsburgh to win, their defense is better than getting blown out 38-3. to three. Yeah, gave I saw 554 the, yards. I saw enough after the first quarter. I just, like, stopped watching the game and kept looking at Josh Allen rack up fantasy <laughs> point value for me. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. I – it just feels like everything went wrong for the Steelers and maybe they're learning that this isn't the season they thought it was going to be. Here's my question for you. If you watch more of the game than I did, what are we doing with Kenny Pickett? We rolling him out there for another slaughter of a gauntlet of teams that they have coming up. That's interesting. I think that you're married to him now. I think that you have to play him. You, you decided to play him this week. You have to go with it. And that, that's the closest thing I would say that I have is a criticism of Mike Tomlin this year is that it should have been either week one, you start him right away, or you wait till the bye week. This kind of getting caught up in the moment last week when people are chanting Kenny Pickett's name and put bringing him in, I, that just felt like a reactionary move. I didn't like that at all. But I, I, think you're, I think you're stuck. I think you have to keep playing him. One other thing, because I was watching this game, it was the one where I had the, the noise on, where I had other games in the background. Tony Romo, God bless that man. He was trying so hard to sell the, the idea that a Steelers comeback could happen with 18 minutes left in this game, and it was 31 to three, because the Steelers fumble or the Bills fumbled the ball at the Steelers' two yard line. This is how comebacks start, folks, right here. And I'm like, Tony, good for you. Good for you for making people think there's a chance that this game still can have any kind of intrigue at all. Well, you know, I part of me thinks that's PTSD too because he's been there before and, they, you know, they <laughs> sure. posted some comebacks, not great ones like that. But, you know, part of me thinks that it's his, he's trained himself to believe that, you know, any game. That he actually thought that was true. Around. Yeah. Like <laughs> part of me, that's Tony Romo though. He's like, He's like the lovable loser. I like I hate to say it, but he he won a lot in Dallas, but he never won anything special. And so like I, I he's just a lovable loser. What's the play you think of? If you have to think of one play in Tony Romo's career, what is it? Because I have mine right away. Rest in peace to him, but the fumble, the, yeah. the special teams fumble. I, the, the I holder. Hate to say it. Yeah. I hate to say that's it. That's who you think of when you think of Tony Romo. Of. And and it sucks because he was a great quarterback. He just wasn't uh, like he wasn't the elite quarterback that gets you to a Super Bowl with no help from the rest of the team it makes you wonder too had he not got caught from behind and he goes into the end zone and scores there how differently his career arc could be I think it changes a lot who knows that that was a playoff perspective. game I mean it really does god I can already hear Steven at home listening back punching his pillows like this is supposed to be the fast minute this is supposed <laughs> to be fast so all right we'll, we'll speed it up a little here because that that definitely is the point of this segment, this next game, Houston, what can you say? They beat Jacksonville again, 13-6. to 6. 
Fun fact for you guys at home, the Texans, since the start of 2020, are 428-1 versus NFL teams not named the Jacksonville Jaguars. In that same stretch, they are 5-0 against the Jaguars. Shame on us for betting against them this week, David. Trevor Lawrence didn't look great, though. What, what, what was your takeaway from this game? First off, I I this is the weirdest division in all of football because this is the second time Steven has brought us a stat like, you know, they're four and 28 and one and they've only beaten the Jags and nobody else. And then, you know, I think previously it was like the Jags have beaten the Colts in Indianapolis or in Duval like nine times in a row. And I'm just sitting there. I was like, yeah, that's all coincidence. Both these teams are better than that now. And now and they're not. It's like I, I don't understand what's going on, but there's some like voodoo going on with these teams that they just can't win in certain locations or against certain teams but my takeaway from this game is i jumped on the the houston and jacksonville bandwagon way too early agreed both these teams are as not not as good as i thought they were going to be i think jackson jacksonville still it's gonna be one of those teams where i start to jump off the bandwagon and they go and they beat like the eagles and i'm sitting there like what just happened <laughs> obviously they already played i know what you mean though you, they'll, yeah. they'll play someone they shouldn't beat and win by three scores Right. And so like, it's the team, that's the potential that team, the Jaguars have, the Texans are still bad. I don't, but I, I just, I think they've played a lot of really good games against better teams and played them well or won. both these teams. I just jumped in on way too early after seeing them play maybe a little above what they should be at. But I think Jacksonville has got a hell of a future. If they, I, I keep, I've said it a couple of weeks ago, but if they have a hell of an off season, that's going to be a fun team to watch next year. I mean, this is how frustrating this day was. They had six points, mind you. 422 yards, six points. Listen to these drives. Outside, they opened the game with a three and out. But beyond that, 54-yard drive ends in a punt. 60-yard field goal drive. 55-yard drive turnover on downs. 51-yard field goal drive. 68-yard drive ends with a Lawrence pick inside the Texans' 10-yard line. 53-yard turnover on down drive. Three and out. 36-yard turnover on down drive, 34-yard interception drive to end the game. They were moving. They were in complete control of this game. They just could not figure out how to move the ball once they crossed midfield. For whatever reason, they got to the 40, and they couldn't move the ball. Credit to the Texans, though. They will not go winless. So it's kind of like that, uh, you know how they always on ESPN, they're like, the 1972 Dolphins team popped a bottle of champagne today, and the last team won. That winless Browns and that winless Lions team, they're still out there popping bottles. They're alive. They're still the last winless team. Miami goes to the Jets, lose 40-17. to 17. Now, this is a little tricky because Teddy Bridgewater got hurt on the first play of the game. I don't know if you saw. They claim that he was stumbling, and with this new rule and obvious heightened, especially in Miami of all places, this heightened emphasis on player safety. I understand trying to be cautious, but if he passed concussion protocol and he did not show signs of stumbling, like they claim video is there's not been a single video that's come out of it. That's where we get a little nervous here. Cause it, it feels like if it only takes one spotter to decide that's when you get personal biases, you get scandal, you get things like that coming out of it. If you had a chance to see this game, were you a little confused by this as well? Or, or did you like the NFL forcing him to stay out? 
Personally, I think it's a product of, you know, one person probably saw something and then you have to keep them out. But you got think about this. The, the, the Dolphins are in the worst possible situation with this rule because they screwed over Tua. I mean, God knows if he's out for the season or not. I haven't heard a word about Tua since he got his second concussion. Radio um, silent. Yeah, radio silent on the Tua front. But let's let's play the reverse scenario. Let's say you don't see Teddy stumble and he gets hit again. Mm-hmm. And now your quarterback number two, you have thrown back in a game and now is is hurt and hurt bad. So I wouldn't be shocked if they just pulled him as a precaution and said, hey, yeah, we saw him stumble as just like an excuse. But like the Dolphins are now in a spot where where you've got to be overreactive instead of just right. Who knows if he actually stumbled, but they probably made the right decision for their franchise to to remove him from the game. I don't think it affects how the the game turned out, maybe a little bit, but it, I mean, Jets dropped 40. That's a defensive issue in my mind. That's the crazy thing, though. They, they only gave up 322 yards, or, or they only had 322 yards Jets offense. It was just a really weird game. Defensive scores, Miami turning over deep in their own territory. Defense definitely won the game, and you and I are Letterkenny fans. Riley and Jonesy have a famous line I love in that. They don't ask how, they ask how many. The Jets are three and two. Who gives a shit how you got there? Yeah, it's ugly. Yeah, you probably shouldn't have won two of these games at least, but you you did. You're three and two, and it's starting to feel like maybe the culture is changing in New York. They're learning how to win, and good for Robert Salah because, I mean, he just seems like a really, really fun guy to coach. Or, or, or to have coach you, he's fired up. He feels like a very strong players coach. I think it's good for football. So I really want him to be successful and stay there for a while. The Bears are going to Minnesota, or they went, I should say. The Vikings won 29 to 22. Surprisingly enough, the Bears actually were pretty confident on offense in this game. Minnesota was up 21 to three at half, but they needed a late Kirk Cousins touchdown drive to avoid just losing. Is this a sign of the Bears figuring things out, or is Minnesota just not who we thought they were? A little bit of both. I think the Bears are figuring out what they can what they can do if we built an offensive line and we figured some things out from a roster building perspective. But it's also I've been down on Minnesota's defense all year. I think there are a lot of names right now, and I don't think a lot of them are playing extremely well for what their names bring to the table. If that makes sense. This is just a game of, of truthfully, it's a game of Minnesota letting off the gas pedal and Chicago having a horrific defense in this game. If Chicago has a good defense, this probably is a Chicago win, to be honest. But I don't know. I, I just, it, tough to tell. Just with Minnesota up, what, three touchdowns to start the game, and then they let Chicago sneak all the way back in throughout the After rest what the they've been this year, too. It's right. completely inexcusable. Right. It just feels like they let their foot off the gas. And then, you know, we got because they let their foot off the gas, we got to see what what maybe Justin Fields could be with with an offensive line and a couple receivers or, you know, maybe what the Bears could be if they actually spent some time building the roster the appropriate way. I wish and I hope that this was kind of a blueprint for how they game plan with Justin Fields because him carrying the ball eight times and scrambling it opened up the offense. And we don't see it enough from him because he's such a freak athlete. When he is in space, 
it's scary for defenders to even try to get this guy down in what eight carries 47 yards and open him up passing. I mean, he threw him a 75% completion percentage after not completing. It felt like even 50% for most of the year. It was a big day. Now I got to say one nice thing about Steven. And then of course I got to even him out. So I'm going to say a negative thing right back, but he pointed out, and I thought it was a great point that Minnesota converted 12 of 15 third downs in this game. You are never going to win in the NFL with that kind of a defensive performance, to your point, the Bears' defense is terrible. Great point by him. Then also, I have to bring up his boy, Jalen Rieger. Had a career day. He had one catch, one yard, and a touchdown. So good for Steven. He's back on top. We talked about that Thursday night game being disgusting. This, this one's got to be close. Tennessee, it looked better. Yeah, it might have played better, but it just I am so bored of talking about the Washington Commanders and the Tennessee Titans. They're both not good. It was just a bad quality football game, but the Titans did win, and it it happened the only way it could. With Carson Wentz driving down the field, getting to the one-yard line, and throwing a pick to end the ball game. Totally gross game. Tennessee, though, they're back in first place in that AFC South. Are they all of a sudden your favorite to win the division again? God, no. I, I I hate everything about this game and the Colts and, and Denver game. I think I said both of these games as contenders for a worst game of the week, quality-wise. And you drilled and it. <laughs> unfortunately, Colts-Denver decided to try and play for worst game of everyone's lifetime. But Tennessee-Washington was bad. And even though they put up points, it's just ugly. It's ugly, not entertaining football. And a little foreshadowing, I'm pretty sure Carson Wentz and Jacoby Brissett practiced together all offseason long. I thought it was great, too. I noticed this morning, I think PFF tweeted it out. Someone asked Ron Rivera, what is the difference between you and the other NFC East teams? And he responded with one word. He just said, quarterback. Yeesh. It's October 10th. It is October 10th, and we are already five games in with Carson Wentz, and we're already like, shit, this is this is not a good idea, guys. Yeah, that's a yikes. Yes, it is. Last thing I'll say on this game, it was really cool to see Brian Robinson coming back, first of all, but he ran out the many men by 50 Cent, which I thought was the most badass move I've ever seen in my life. I thought it was so cool. I'm, I'm thrilled. He didn't play great, but the fact that he was able to play it all a month removed from what happened – Awesome story, awesome news. Atlanta went to Tampa Bay. The Bucs won 21 to 15. And this is a weird one because the Bucs were up 21 to nothing, complete control the entire game through three quarters. And all of a sudden, the Falcons were a gauntlet in the fourth quarter. They score 15 unanswered and look to be getting the ball back, David. But what happens? On third down, Grady Jarrett makes a great play. He sacks Tom Brady, but unfortunately he tackled him. So we had to throw a roughing the passer call. What in the world was that? I don't know, man. The roughing the passer call to extend Tom Brady's drive instead of a punt the ball to Atlanta with what, two minutes left is insanity. It wasn't a roughing the passer. It was a fine tackle. If it wasn't Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, it's never getting called. I just, I'm so tired of seeing Tom Brady get the calls. I like Tom Brady now that he's in, in Tampa. Like, I think he's actually like a genuine human being that I, I actually like now. But I am so tired of watching him hit, get 
favorable calls from the refs that no other quarterback in the NFL gets. He it's got tackled. He right. got tackled. That was it. Right. He got tackled. And, and you know, it's it's the second time this season that the refs have made a, a – have given a team a such a clear-cut advantage. And both of them have are related to one another. Tom Brady gets the clear-cut advantage and not just getting a sack. And he gets the roughing the passer. They extend it. They win the game. But New England – and New England didn't win the game, but New England against the Packers, uh, when they get four extra seconds after the play clock runs out to run their play, I like, I just like this is a clear. And New England didn't win, so it's it is what it is. But those are clear, clear, clear mistakes. By clear the and obvious. Yeah, it's just like what is what is the NFL doing to punish that? Like that's gotta. This shit's got to never happen again. And I'm I'm just so, like I said, I'm so tired of seeing Tom Brady get every call in the book that he wants that helps him extend a drive. I, I'm just tired of it. I completely agree. I, Micah Parsons had a great tweet as well where he was getting held around the throat after the game. And he tweeted something to the effect of, when are we going to worry about player safety on the defensive side of the ball? If we get in trouble for tackling, how does this fly? And guys like that, truly, I'd hold them every play because – it's like the refs just decide they don't want to call a hold every single play. So guys that are the elite of the elite, the TJ Watts, the Miles Garrett, the Michael Parsons of the world, they are truly getting held almost every play. And the refs just don't call it anymore. And I'm tired of it. But I said that I was going to be done or that I was going to not be able to say anything nice about the Falcons in this game. I felt really good about it. And then damn it, the fourth quarter happened. Not only do they cover but I got to admit again, Mariota is about the dream bridge quarterback in the world. If you can get him running the ball, very similar to Justin Fields, all of a sudden it opens up everything else. God, I hate to say it, but the Falcons aren't bad. Detroit though, they're pretty bad. They went to new England. We started talking up this Detroit offense. What do they do? But get just dominated by bill Belichick in his defense. They went 29 to nothing. And Bailey Zappe looked really good in this game. He went 17 to 21, 188, touchdown and a pick. And the pick wasn't his fault. Nelson Aguilar, the elite Nelson Aguilar, basically gave the ball to Deshaun Elliott, which was weird. Dan Campbell, after the game, called this loss rock bottom. Is it rock bottom for the Lions? Or do you think that maybe this is more of who they are opposed to the first month of the season? This game confused the hell out of me because I don't know who the Lions are anymore. I mean, that team was averaging over 30 points a game until this game, and then they drop a goose egg. It doesn't make sense. Like, I don't know how you go from from a speeding train to a dead stop on offense. But it's definitely, a, you know, I'm I'm less high on the Lions. I think I just love riding the high of a really good offense on a really bad team. But, you know, shame on me for thinking that the Lions were going to win this game. <laughs> I think the big storyline to me is again, again, and I, I think I mentioned this last week on the preview. Bailey Zappe has made to look like Mac Jones in a Bill Belichick offense. And now I'm starting to wonder if Mac Jones is that guy. I just, it's, it's hard not to question it. Like this is Bill Belichick's thing. He makes average game managing quarterbacks look good enough to win games in New England. And then I'm stuck with Jacoby Brissett in Cleveland because we've made a career out of him being just good enough to get a start. 
I mean, it was weird. First of all, we have to mention Patriot Pat is unbelievable. I like that's why I hate Tom Brady is that if he not won those Super Bowls, they would eventually have changed back to this Patriot Pat look permanently. But now they can't do it because they won all those Super Bowls with that ugly ass uniform they have up there usually. But I mean, this was to me. I also think that maybe I've been a little too critical of New England. They're very close to being a foreign one team. Now, all of a sudden, I feel like we buried them a little too early. I mean, Bill Belichick owns Jared Goff. We know that. But you're right. I mean, Bailey Zoppe looked really good in this game. And who knows? Maybe this is something that down the road, especially with Mac Jones coming back, this is a, a Patriots team that could flirt around and maybe accidentally play themselves into a wild card position again. This week's NFL news, and this could have been an email, was brought to you by Abby Turner Creative your one-stop shop marketing agency specializing in branding, high-end photography, fashion, and more. Especially if you are around our age where there's college graduations, engagements, weddings, baby pictures, you name it, it's happening every weekend. Abby Turner Creative is the only way to go. Check her out for yourself on abbyturner.com. That's Abby, A-B-B-E-Y, or on her Instagram at Sawdad and Sapphire. Again, abbyturnerphoto.com. Now we're going to get into a couple games here that we actually cared about. Unfortunately, Steven's not here to talk about his Green Bay Packers game, but I'll read off. He, he made a couple notes here he wanted us to read off. The Giants, they scored 17 unanswered points in the second half. The only points Green Bay did score in the second half was a safety where the punter ran out of bounds just to punt the ball. It, it was a smart play late in the game. He goes, where do I start? Danny Dimes has a hurt ankle without three starting wide receivers. Green Bay's defense is a joke, and I'm still waiting for this to be the defense I've been waiting for since I got drafted, as Jair Alexander said this offseason. LaFleur needs to have a consistent run game, only 19 touches between the AJs. It led your first half success. Why must you abandon the run when it has clearly been working for you all game? Here's an example of why Aaron Jones leads the NFL with 6.39 yards per carry, and he ranks 19th in rush attempts with only 61. I get why he's upset, but I I took something else from this game. This is a hell of a coach in Brian Dayball. It feels like the Giants are like they want to play for this guy, and I understand a lot of this success is going back to Saquon Barkley playing his best football of his career right now. But this feels like a new day and age in both of the New York franchises. This is the first time they're both over five hundred at the same time in like eight years. It's it, it's kind of exciting. It's good for football. The G-Men, giant win across the pond. What did you think about this? I'm on the same the same train as you. I think I think Dayball is is the truth. I think if he gets talent on that roster more so than what they have now, that he's going to have them and and Philly competing for division titles back to back to back, but. I am a little shocked with LaFleur and the Packers. You have two very good running backs that you didn't get 20 touches with combined. And a game you were up by a lot. So you really should have been running a lot. He's looked at as one of the the young up-and-coming offensive minds in the NFL, if not already there. I highly, highly, highly question his play calling if you're up 10, 15 points, whatever it was, you're not running the ball. Not even trying to. Half. 
especially when you have running backs that are going to get four yards per carry and you can just run it for three consecutive downs to open the half, make them think you're running it, open it up more for Aaron Rodgers and your young receivers. Like I, I don't, I just don't understand how as an offensive mind, you can think that just using Aaron Rodgers only is going to work because you've got young receivers. It's not Devonte Adams out there anymore. You've got to open up, you got to open up some lanes for your receivers until they're that good. I mean, they only had three second half drives in this game. And again, that's a credit to Brian Dable, Danny Dimes, Saquon Barkley. I mean, they had what an eight and a seven minute scoring drive to start the second half. The best way to play defense against Aaron Rodgers is not having to play defense against Aaron Rodgers, keeping your offense on the field. They looked disheveled when they finally got the ball back. They're completely out of sync. Great win for the Giants. I'm keeping my eye on them. If this keeps up in the next month, we might be going into November actually having an NFC East race where we didn't think there was even a possibility, uh, I guess, even two, three weeks ago. Now, this next one here, David, the Los Angeles Chargers go to Cleveland. They win this game 30-28. to I'm going to say two things, and I'm going to hand it over because I know you have very strong thoughts on this game. All I have, because this was, I was watching rooting for you guys as an anti charger stance. You and I had a funny kind of, I thought it was funny anyways. I understand it probably wasn't at the time for you. I texted you, Staley's going to Staley when they go for it on fourth and two on their own side of the field with less than two minutes left. And five minutes later, you got to respond, the Browns are going to Brown. <laughs> I think that perfectly summarizes what happened in the fourth quarter of this game. Take it away, David. Look, I'm not even going to address the game. I'm going to address Browns fans. All right. Look at me, Jack Coopler. I know, I know you're going to see this. All right. A lot of people are going to call for Joe Woods' head after the game, but we need to spend some time breaking down all the things that are wrong. One, I don't care what any announcer says, what anyone says. Brissett stinks. He stinks. He, may, he makes three good throws, and we dub him king, and we dub him, oh, he's playing so great, but he's absolutely terrible. He He's late on all of his reads, and nobody's willing to, to acknowledge that. He's late on all of his reads. He pump fakes unnecessarily because he plays scared, and he looks for Amari Cooper only when he's in trouble, and that's how you get DPJ, who's open so many times the last two weeks that's how you get him no receptions and how we go back and we're like wow he was wide open i can't believe he didn't throw it to him he oh oh and by the way he's had three opportunities for late fourth quarter comebacks and ended all the games with three interceptions he is a game manager until there's any kind of pressure at any point in the game and then he's terrible and he probably practiced said it earlier he probably practices with carson wentz all off season and he's worse than Wentz because I know for a fact if Carson Wentz was looking at 20 free yards to run he would have ran the ball into the end zone instead of forcing into quadruple coverage and that's the same guy who threw an interception in the end zone to end a game this week that's just one two let's talk defense since 2020 John Johnson has a coverage grade in excess of 74 times it's been below 67 times John Johnson stinks. We overpaid him. He's supposed to be a top 10 safety. He's not. He's constantly the problem when we have miscommunication, 
blown coverages every game. It's his fault every time he stinks. Three, the defense is quite literally built around the defensive ends. And when they aren't 100%, you know it because this defense feels it. Four, the defensive tackle group is the worst in the NFL. And I was going to say I'll fight you on it, but according to Cody Swake or whatever his name is on Twitter, out of 106 graded defensive tackles, the Browns have the starting defensive tackles ranked 105th and 106. They are the worst. They can't stop themselves from shitting their pants, let alone stop a run or a pass play. The linebacker, five, the linebacking crew, top 10, worst in the NFL to start the season, top five without top five terrible without Walker, who's down and out for the season. Now, after I thought about this rant and wanted to make this rant, we go and we trade for Deion Jones, who has a injury history, but may actually make this linebacking crew somewhat reasonable again. Six, I don't care if we have a top five secondary, top five defensive end group on paper in the NFL. If you have massive fucking holes, you have you basically have no defensive tackles. You might as well just slot Stephen Wally and I into the defensive tackle rotation because they're getting blown on their asses every play. So, you know, you have zero defensive tackles. You have zero linebackers. You can't just scheme around those holes with coaching. And, oh, by the way, Joe Woods had the Browns defense stopping the Chargers on seven of Ted thirds downs, both fourth down opportunities. They held the Chargers to two of five in the red zone. And they only gave up three fourth quarter points. The Browns just scored zero. This defense has been bad all year long, but all every single game they have given the opportunity, they've given the offense the opportunity to win the game. And we have failed in every single one of the losses. This offense yesterday missed two field goals and Brissett missed three open receivers to extend drives that would have netted points. So you leave at least. 12 points on the field because of mistakes from the offense and special teams. I'm just so tired of the reactionary fire everyone takes. It goes back to what we were talking about, about Mike Tomlin. Recognize what you have. Learn the roster. Watch the games. Don't get reactionary because you're passionate as a fan. Joe Woods is not the problem. And I repeat, Joe Woods is not the problem. He's 20% of the problem. He's not without blame. But team building and injuries are 80% of the problem. And you can mark it down as a fact that it's 80% because Andrew Barry wouldn't have walked away from that game and an hour later had a trade on the table for a linebacker. That is how bad we went into the season without certain with, with certain roster holes. And rant, the floor is yours, Wally. Wow, that, that was awesome. My... I have it muted. A lot of times we mute so that we don't have cross, uh, I guess, noises coming through. My head hurts. I was laughing that entire time. I, it it actually hurts. Okay. So you deserve like nine pats on the back because you, you said it and I wrote it down here. All three of Jacoby Brissett's INTs this year have been in the final three minutes of a game. That is not good. That is anti-clutch gene. That is also what I think I didn't like notice at first when I was watching this game is that you throw that pick, you need a field goal. Like you don't like if it's not there, you throw it away. I know that we can get on Cade York for missing that field goal at the end, but he doesn't miss that one that close there. 
And on top of that, the decision to just be so, I guess, lackadaisical with the ball in that final drive, I don't understand. It's one of the things that bother me most in the world when teams get complacent with like a 50-some-odd-yard field goal in a high-pressure situation. I don't understand why you're not at least – I feel like you have to be more aggressive there. I get the fear of Jacoby Brissett, and that might be why they're not as aggressive. So I just, man, that was a Browns defense is putrid. You're right. Keenan Allen was everybody in the world when he tweeted out, what the fuck are we doing? Talking about going for on fourth down. And the Browns really just Browns this. If they were two and three, or if we saw going into the year, they were two and three after these first five games. I think it's fair to call that an abject failure. It was, this is a Browns team that needed to be at bare minimum three and two, if not four and one going into this hellacious October and early November before you get Deshaun Watson to come back. I I got nothing else. If you want to say anything else, it's it floor is yours. I can feel the anger. I can feel it. No, let's just send it to Seattle, New Orleans. Perfect. That won't upset you at all. Cause Geno Smith is the best quarterback in the NFL. If he had a defense, if he had that Browns defense, he might be 4-1 right now himself. Instead, the Seahawks, yet again, dude, the, the overs in Seattle games, it's a cash cow right now. I think the over was, it was 45 and a half. The Saints scored 39. The Seahawks scored 32. Alvin Kamara coming back was a big deal. You could feel it. I don't know what I want to ask you first. I guess we'll start with the winning team. That's fair. Is Andy Dalton their best option at quarterback at this moment? Or are you going back to Jameis Winston as soon as you get the, the green light from medical? No, I'm sticking with Dalton because even when he, when Dalton first got the start, I even came after that week and I said, I think Dalton is the best chance for them to have a winning season. I don't know what it is because because neither of them are great quarterbacks, but for some reason, that game manager, that that guy who is just going to get it done without turning the ball over is clearly the Saints' best choice at quarterback. I don't think they're a great team, but if they're going to put up 39 points, I, I, I know Seattle is a horrific top two worse than the NFL defense, but if they're going to put up 39 points on it, they can score against anyone. I'm more curious about how the saints continue to get the wildest games out of Taysom Hill, how they continue to use them in like four different roles. So Gino Smith, uh, for three weeks in a row, I have told you I was wrong on Gino. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying Gino Smith. I didn't, I, this Gino, was, well, you know what you're doing. <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'd be doing it to you. But this Smith, is an MVP. I, I don't know. <laughs> Geno Smith is not an MVP. He's an MVP of this team. That's fact. <laughs> but I he I don't know if if he's still playing above his his level of play realistically, or if he's just gotten this good. But he's playing unbelievable, and I can admit I've been wrong. And that, dude, yesterday, some of the throws he were making, cross body, like downfield throws. That one running cross body to who was it? Lockett? Uh, oh. No, DK. It was DK. I mean, that was that was special. I mean, that was like I not a lot of QBs make that throw as accurately as he threw that ball. So that, he's definitely playing unbelievably well. 
it's just to your point, it sucks that Seattle has such a terrible defense now because you don't get to see, you know, he actually could be an MVP candidate if Seattle was yes. going to win 10 games. Yes. But he's not even going to be in the conversation because there'll be a, a six or seven win football team. What's frustrating too, it's even on the offensive side of the ball, twice this year, they have shot themselves in the foot. And I mean, shot themselves in the foot with really poorly timed penalties. They had a 40-yard touchdown to DK Metcalf, wiped off the board the other day. And then two weeks ago when they played Atlanta, they had a play to get down to like the four-yard line with like 40 seconds left. And the way they were moving the ball, you figure they would score, also brought back for holding. Instead, it's like third and 17 on the 25. And that's, especially at that area of the field, nothing good's going to come out of that. So I, I just... I would love to see Seattle figure out a way to even throw out an average defense. Cause if imagining Geno Smith in the playoffs this year is like a fever dream to me and it won't happen because you can't give up 45, 39, all these, it's just, it's hard to watch. I, I the defense in Seattle and Detroit, those two right now, it is mind numbing bad. Philadelphia went to Arizona. They held on. I don't even know if I should say held on. Matt Amendola pushed a kick, 43-yard field goal, wide right at the buzzer, would have sent it into overtime. This is interesting to me because the Cardinals have still yet to score a first-quarter point. And then on the flip side, the Eagles, I want to say, have either scored 83 or 84 first-quarter points this year through five games. It's an NFL record but then they don't score the rest of the game. It, it, this week, they at least put up 13 the next three quarters, but it, it's a weird dynamic between the two. I know it's kind of nitpicking a 5-0 and o team, but let's start with the winning team. Is there a reason to be concerned in Philadelphia, or do you think this is kind of just a, a little fluky to start the year? Probably a little fluky to start the year, but you got to consider it, right? Because if they hold this kind of pace throughout the rest of the season where – where they're not really scoring in, say, the second half versus the first half, then, you know, you can pretty much say goodbye to the Super Bowl aspirations because if you're not scoring points in the second half, you're not making it out of one round of the playoffs, let alone two or three. Uh, well, two, I guess, because they'll be the division winners. But I, I don't know. I like it's It could be fluky. We're five games in, and, and frankly, they, they've played mostly bad-ish teams. I, I just – I don't know. It's tough to see that if that if that pace holds, tough to see them doing anything other than getting to the playoffs and, and being a first round exit. It's been a really weird year. There's just a lot of obscure kind of stats we're hearing. Like the Titans I mentioned, I mean, they'd match their season output of second half points with seven this week. And you have the Eagles who aren't scoring after the first quarter. You have the Cardinals who physically can't score in the first quarter, where in theory it should be easiest with scripted plays. Let's go to them. I, I know that they missed that field goal to end the game. Do you feel encouraged that the offense at least started clicking a little bit? The Eagles had the ball for 10 minutes more than the Cardinals in this game. Real reason why they lost. Are you worried about the Cardinals, though, or are you kind of turning it around now? You starting to feel a little better about the offense? I'm not really turning it around. I think if, the, if the Broncos didn't exist – we'd be talking about the Cardinals like we are the Broncos, like what's what's happening here? You what's know? wrong with the, the star quarterback? Right. Like what are we what are we doing here? Right. So if the Broncos don't don't exist, 
as they currently are. I, I think we're looking at the Cardinals the same way. Just feels like they're not playing fluid football is, is the term I would go with. Like it just doesn't nothing. They have the talent. Just it's like, it's like there's there. The connection is wrong. Yeah. I don't know what I would say uh, about the prospects of Arizona right now, but you do have Deandre Hopkins coming back in a couple weeks. If they're still struggling at that point, then I think it's not only panic for the season. It's do we have to make Cliff Kingsbury go away? Do we have to get another offensive mind in here? Do we have to get another wide receiver? I know Marquise Hollywood Brown has played pretty well this season. And with the under Hopkins, you'd imagine that would open things up a little more too, but their defense sucks. Their offense. It's like sporadic. Well, we got two more games here, and then we'll be heading out of here. Dallas going to Los Angeles, which, God, L.A. doesn't deserve football teams. And the fact that they have two, it's so embarrassing every single week to watch them host games in that beautiful new facility and have a bunch of people that are supporting the other team. It was Dallas. They were basically playing Dallas. We saw last week McVay said, we're going to have to use hard count or uh, silent counts at home. That's how bad this was, but you got to give a ton of credit to, to the Cowboys. Their defense is phenomenal. It makes you think Dan Quinn deserves another job. And at some point, when are we going to have to give Mike McCarthy a little bit of credit? Even if it's just being hands off, it's a four and one team with Cooper rush. They're four and O with Cooper rush. And they're not just beating nobody's. This is the defending Super Bowl champs. What do you think about this game? Is this, is this more of a the Rams have serious problems or are the Cowboys for real? A little bit of both again. So so let's start with the Cowboys. I'm, I'm a big Cooper Rush guy because I just love no-name quarterbacks coming in and doing well. I don't know. I'm just big Cooper Rush guy, right? But it's time to and recognize You can tell that. you're a Browns fan. Whenever yeah, people know, right? like you like and I, I are like, I love backup quarterbacks. That's yeah, not like good. I, I just, That's not know, good. Well, heartwarming, right? So, so big Cooper Cush guy. Cooper Rush guy, but it's time to recognize that the defense the Cowboys have right now and, and what's being put out on that field is allowing Cooper Rush to probably play above a level he would even need to, or, or above a level he would be capable of if they didn't have the defense taking all the pressure off the offense. So that defense looks unbelievable. They look unbelievable. To your point, Dan Quinn probably going to get another head coaching job the minute this season's over. And he should, because he's amazing. And, and Atlanta should have never he's gotten been rid of so great in Dallas. Right. I, I just, you know, he's, he's fantastic, but, but it's start. it's time to recognize Cooper, Cooper, I keep calling him Cooper. I, did, I wrote it down Cooper. on here. I literally wrote Cooper rush seven catches, 125 yards. So it's not just you. <laughs> so Cooper rush is a game manager. He's and and we can we can bag on Dak Prescott all we want about being a game manager, but Dak Prescott is still like the 10th best quarterback in the NFL. Put a little bit of respect on his name, but when he's healthy, you actually you're going to slot him in and I think the Cowboys are actually better and might actually flourish. I haven't looked at their schedule. I have no idea what their next games are, but this team is a lot better than I thought they'd be and it's all because of the defense kind of I kind of want to look at their next couple games and and evaluate I got them right here I, for you this is awesome because we usually bitch about this but next Sunday night 
We have the Cowboys going to Philadelphia. Then you have the Lions at home and the Bears at home. So, I mean, that's at least two very winnable games. What's interesting is perfect timing, Eagles-Cowboys. Now you get to see how legit both these teams are because mm-hmm. they're both they're both better than I ever expected either team to be. Uh, now I expected Philly to be good, but not 5-0 and dominating teams for the most part good. So if the Cowboys come out of that game with with – even just playing it close, let alone winning, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm on the Cowboys train of of potentially being a playoff team, but setting down the Cowboys for a side, right? The Rams, the dude, Rams that are, is a disaster. They're they're broken on offense. The line stinks. Outside of Cup, the receivers stink. Stafford kind of looks the same as last year, but like without the support. In my opinion, he doesn't look much worse, and he doesn't look. Yeah, he clearly isn't better than last year, but he doesn't feel much different than last year. He's just like the offense isn't doing anything. And the the running backs literally might as well not exist. Like they're not good. Cam Akers is a huge letdown. Henderson he had a terrible game. Good. He averaged like one and a half yards a carry. Yeah, he's just he's not he's not who we thought he was going to be. But you know, the one thing I keep thinking of with the Rams and and I thought it was a bad thing to look at after week three, but we're in week five and the statistics are holding. There's a shocking graph using PFF statistics showing the offensive efficiency under McVay for his duration there. In that graph, there are two years of golf that are terrible. There are golf Super Bowl year and Stafford Super Bowl year. And then there's Goff in the middle, I think the year before he he got demoted for Stafford and Stafford this year. And it's like two, two, two. And it's almost it's almost too coincidental for for me to just like throw that out as like a, a random statistic we've made to be something because it's it's two Super Bowl years. And then two god-awful Goff years, which which is why you take Stafford over Goff. But then you get these weird two in-between years where everyone's kind of blaming the roster and, and the quarterback. I'm wondering what happened to the offense. And it's just like it feels like a limbo McVay year. But, like, I can't tell if it's terrible roster building for both those years, terrible quarterback play, terrible receiver play, terrible running backs. Like, I don't know, but all I know is I keep seeing that damn graph and nothing's changing. It's all the efficiency stays the same for Stafford this year and the Rams. And it's just like two, two, two. And you're just kind of sitting there like that. It's just so odd. Like it's, it's too coincidental. There's something behind that, that I'm not seeing. It's almost that question. Do you, do you think that Jared Goff is undervalued or do we think Matt Stafford might be overvalued some? And of course you're right. Again, Sean McVay, we kept kind of, I guess, marking him as this whiz kid, this new age Belichick. And at some point you got to have consistency. I mean, it's a one-year wonder right now. It's very confusing. The graph is great. We'll have to share that on Twitter so that you guys can see it. Uh, We'll definitely do that later after this show comes out. Let's go into our last game of the week. Cincinnati goes to Baltimore. It takes a Justin Tucker 43-yard field goal at the buzzard. Eat your heart out, Matt Amendola, to win the game 19-17. to 
But let's start. I want to start actually with the losing team on this one. We'll end on a happy note for Ravens fans. The Bengals are another one of those teams that just can't really figure out how to play football early in games right now. They trail 10-0 again. They're just finding themselves two, three possessions down way early and making Joe Burrow come back. They had a first down on their first play from scrimmage, an 11-yard wide receiver screen in Jamar Chase. They did not get another first down until their fifth drive. The Ravens' secondary has been an atrocity this year. And this offense couldn't do anything. I don't know. It's got Zach Taylor is an anchor to what is otherwise a gorgeous speedboat. I'm getting so frustrated. I can't imagine how Bengal fans feel. Imagine a scenario that Mike Tomlin does get canned this year. If you're Mike Brown, do you think about calling up Mike Tomlin? Because I would do it in a, in a literal second. I think you do look at other coaches specifically because if we rewind if you're not scoring and you're not looking well in the first let's call it the first quarter let's not even say the first half first quarter that is all coaching you have a you have a week to script plays to scout your opponent's defense to really make this work and if you're not doing shit with joe burrow at the helm and two stallions of receivers i can't it's just it keeps coming out of coaching and And it will until another coach comes in and the same thing happens. I say that because I'm just not willing. I'm not willing to to entertain the thought that Joe Burrow isn't capable of being a top five quarterback in the NFL. I'm not. So this isn't he's just shown it. He's been it. He, He is that guy. And until I see, you know, him pair with two or three coaches and still we're still having these same issues, I'm not willing to admit it's anything but coaching. And I just think if you're the Bengals, like I get, you just went to the Super Bowl, and for all I know, they extended Zach Taylor. I think they did this past off season, but you're coming out. We'll see how the season finishes, but like if you finish under ten wins, I swear to God, if you finish under ten wins, I think you have to fire Taylor. I really do. I like especially if you can go out, or actually no, especially if you can go out and you get a coach like Mike Tomlin, who's been wrongfully fired by the the Pittsburgh Steelers. Or Harbaugh, who a lot of fans called for his firing. God, I hate the AFC North. Anyway. Um, <laughs> the fan bases in the AFC North are fanatical. They're some of the best out there, but they're so damn annoying. Every oh, single know. one of them. Yep. And so anyways, you go out and you get a, a proven coach like that. Absolutely. You, you, if you can get that, fire Zach Taylor. The interesting thing is, let's say we give Zach Taylor 2023. Sean Payton in 2024. What's stopping me? What's that is so this is like that and and I didn't realize it until we started talking but this is like that perfect scenario where you slide Sean Payton and yeah you're on probably the last year of your receivers rookie deals who all want to get paid and you probably pay Chase and not Higgins but you keep Boyd and you keep Chase and let's say you lose Higgins but you gain some draft capital you slide Sean Payton in there with Joe Burrow man I don't know how that's not the best scenario possible you have top five quarterback in the NFL, top receiver. You're probably not going to pay Mixon, but he's probably not going to demand anything on the open market either. So you probably still have Mixon, or you can just replace him with any kind of fifth round running back, like we've quickly learned. You've got Boyd as a great slot receiver, so you're really not worried about the depth at receiver either. If you can hold on to all these assets, right? 
And then by then you hope that the defense is still in somewhat manageable shape to build out in an off season. If they can give, if, if we're going to ride out Zach Taylor, at least another season, you absolutely get on the phone with Sean Payton at the end of next year. And you say, whatever you want, whatever you want, you can have, but we need you. And you get rid of Zach Taylor and you replace him with a coach. That's going to make me wish I was at the edge of a cliff every week for the rest of eternity as a Browns fan. But that's just the best. That's a best case scenario in my mind from a, a Bengals perspective. It's very interesting. The only part that I think that you might find trouble with hitting on this prediction is Mike Brown. Mike Brown has proven to a fault that he is loyal and doesn't like firing head coaches. I think he very much envies how Art Rooney ran the Steelers for a long time, especially in that division, seeing it with your own eyes. You grew up Paul Brown's son. There's so much history in that division. They want to take a bite of that apple too. And fortunately, it might be biting them in the ass on this one because to your point, Zach Taylor ain't it. And I don't feel like last year, I think was about as perfect of everything had to go their way just to get there. It's not going to happen again with this head coach and honestly regime in general. But let's go to the Baltimore Ravens real quick. Justin Tucker, first of all, dude's unconscious. He's truly the most like guaranteed automatic make kicker I've ever seen. And I can't remember who I heard it from. I think it was on around the NFL, but they brought a great point too. They're always dead center. You can measure both sides of the damn uprights and they're perfectly on that side because they're every time it is meticulously down the middle. This Ravens team is good, but this was a big win for them. They needed this in a big way. You can't afford to go 0-3 at home, especially when you were up 10, 17, and 21 in these games. It's a big win, but I almost feel like it's more of a sigh of relief win than anything else. What about you? Uh, It's a huge win for them. They needed it, like you said. Uh, I just, man, it's just like PTSD from watching Justin Tucker kick and win games in the division. I just like... He's the best kicker of all time. I'm willing to slap that on his name now, but like, God damn, I'm so sick of him. It's like, it's like the Tom Brady effect in new England. Like just so tired of watching him succeed. Like, I just want him. like last night I was sitting there. I was like, I know he's going to make it, but God, I'd be so happy if he, if he shanked it, I'd be so happy if he just straight, right. 20 yards missed the field goal. <laughs> like it, I knew it wasn't going to happen, but I was sitting there and be like, the greatest night ever if he just showed any kind of sign of failure <laughs> like I, any kind of sign of failure my dumb ass too i had a couple beverages in me i remember i literally looked at my dad i'm like he's gonna miss this and he just laughed at me and i was just like all right that's that's probably fair like as a Bengals fan for him and a browns fan for you if someone tells you justin tucker's gonna miss the kick i think a laugh in my face is the the rightful response now he's something like he's only missed in his career, he's only missed one field goal that's a lead change within two minutes in like at the end of a game or overtime. I would love to go back. I don't even know what that was. That should be like the highlight of my life is watching <laughs> him miss a field goal to win a game. And I couldn't even tell you what it was. And it was probably a meaningless game too. That meant nothing. Yeah, probably like week three against like, I don't know, the Lions or something in yeah. 10 years ago. Like <laughs> I just, you know, he's just one of those guys. He's automatic. 
I have a hot, lot of respect for him. The minute he lines up, you know it's in. You know you've lost the game. But goddamn, every time he lines up, I'm like, God, I'd be so happy if you just shanked this so badly. All right. Well, the Raiders and Chiefs game is just about to start. So, David, we need a last 10 to 20 second prediction here. Are you still – I think you had Raiders plus seven and a half, or I make that up. No, you had the Chiefs money line, I believe, didn't you? Chiefs money line wasn't willing to bet the spread, was hoping that the Raiders would cover the spread. I might have taken the Raiders – no, I think I just took Chiefs money line. You're right. So, so this weekend has taught me one thing, and it's that my bandwagon of the Browns, uh, Lions, and Raiders is coming to a crashing halt. So, I'm I'm very scared for the Raiders, even though I want them to win. But I have a feeling that given the the luck of the weekend, they're going to get blown to shreds, and and it will confirm that this weekend has taught me a life lesson and it's that good things happen to bad fan bases, AKA Philadelphia Eagles having a great team and bad things happen to sad people. God rest in peace, lions, Raiders, and Browns fans. I told you before we start recording as the weekend went, it just kind of the way this weekend went tells me the chiefs are going to blow the doors off the Raiders today. Like this feels like a 38, 13 game now. I feel pretty stupid taking plus seven and a half, but I'm still crossing my fingers that hopefully they can prove me wrong. But that will bring us to the end of another episode of Lost It Down. Make sure you follow us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Lost It Down, and at Twitter, down underscore loss. Remember that this episode was brought to you by Abby Turner Creative. David, what are your parting words for the people today? Football is a dumb sport, and... I wish I could stop watching it. (laughs) If the Raiders lose tonight, I second that. If not, it's the greatest thing in the world. All I have to say, just win, baby. We'll see you guys next time.